Amen. We'll find the uh, handout that you should have got in your bulletin. I want to take a break. We've been doing a little study in recent weeks on cosmology and origins. And, and last week we had fun looking at what does the Bible teach about cavemen and ape men and how do you figure all that. And, and then the week before, what about those dinosaurs and those big bones down at the museum? And where does that fit into the scheme of things? And does the Bible have anything to say about that? We do have the CDs, uh, they are available, and I think the uh, labels may be, and uh, you may want to pick on that, pick up one of those uh, after the service. We uh, will we'll resume that next week. We're going to look at early Genesis. There's, uh, there was a, a theory on uh, the gap theory and then the day, day age theory, and how do you explain that? Looking at, uh, we're going to look at that scripturally so that you might know in your own heart what the scriptures say and how to give an answer to everyone. As Peter says, who, uh, of those that ask of the hope that lies within you, that you might be able to train up your loved ones to think biblically. Uh, there, it's, uh, it's a rare thing, but you need to do that. And to help with that, uh, Roger's able and willing. Rogers is our Genesis man. He does such a great job. And we're going we're gonna to offer a class in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. I find a, a time during a week, a time spot, and Roger's going to go at it again and you don't want to miss that if you're not done that. We've had a number go through his class, and it's been very, very beneficial. We appreciate that. Well, this week is Father's Day, and so I've entitled the message, The Godly Dad. Take your Bible, look at 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. You'll find that, of course, in the New Testament. It's among the T's. That helps, right? 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, right? 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. All the T's are together. I like T. T's and Z's, not too many. I always like Zorro, you know, he puts Z's in people's chests, you know, like some of you don't know who Zorro is, but I always, I thought that was pretty good, you know. Wow. All right, First Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writes to this beloved church. He loved this church. Uh, in Acts 17, he planted the church on one of his missionary journeys, uh, and uh, he was only there three Sabbath uh, days or three weeks, Got hustled out of town, but in that time God planted a church, and he writes back to the church, and he reminds them of his ministry with them, and we're kind of jumping in and picking it up right in the middle, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, let's read the text first. Uh, let's pick it up at uh, verse, uh, bah, 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 bah. let's pick up verse 6, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6 to verse 12. We were, Paul writes, we were not looking for praise from men not from you or from anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. That means a financial burden. But we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because we had become so dear, you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember Brothers, our toil and our hardship, we work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. 
Well, that's our text for this morning. We're going to develop that. Today uh, certainly is uh, Father's Day, and uh, as mentioned, we want to honor you, all you dads. You uh, play a very, very important role in God's uh, design of the family. I mean, you are foundation, you are, you are key. Different role from, from, from wives and mothers and, and so on. Very, very important. God has designed you, and your she, God has designed you to be the strength. You're to be the strength. You're to be more than that. You're to be the protector. You're to be the, the leader in your home. That's a God's design. Uh, it's, a, it's an incredible thing. You're, you're a hero. You know, Proverbs says that. The, the, the glory of parents are, what, our grandparents are the grandchildren. Sorry, kids. But the grandkids. But the glory of children is their father. You know, my father. I remember as a six-year-old kid, I sat on the curb telling Kevin Rosard, who lived across the street, my father can beat your father up. <laughs> no, he can't. Yes, he can. Did you ever see his wife? He got guns there, you know. <laughs> He built that house there. He built, see that house? He built that. My dad did, you know, that kind of stuff. Children, you know, the, the dad, you're the hero there. You're the hero in the home. You know, few, uh, few Chuck Swindoll writes, a few memories are more pleasant than a father who laughed and had fun with his family. Isn't that true? I mean, he could be stern and strict, and, and you hold the line, but he would tickle us and make us laugh and hold us down wrestling and, uh, and, and tell a joke or humor, and that mixture is so wonderful. Dad, you're not just the army sergeant. You say, I gotta hold the line. You're, no, play with your kids. If you play with your kids and have fun with them, they'll listen to you. I think it's a key. One man writes, I think it was Howie Hendricks writes, if you don't play with your kids, then don't even bother disciplining them. You know, play with them. I mean, that's the glue, play with them. I said that. How many times do you think I'm crazy? I, when I was a kid, I used to love climbing trees, building tree houses, and all that. And one of the joys of being a father is, is you can climb trees in the backyard again. Imagine if I didn't have kids. He's up in the tree again. People would really wonder about it. But when you're up there with your boys, they go like, oh, he's a good father. <laughs> it's all together. <laughs> Call the nut house. There he goes again. You, know? <laughs> you play with them. You just play with them. Our David loved to uh, build uh, in Clark Summit, build tree houses. So we kept, we found more uh, salvaged lumber. He built these tree houses and forts. They were, they weren't really David. They weren't architecturally correct, but they, they, our David built it, and we got up it and, and cooked hot dogs up there and had uh, you know a great time and slept in it and and uh, he learned a lot. It was great fun to play with them. Play with them. I love that. It was great to have uh, uh, David home last fall. I can't remember what day it was, but a lot of times we'd watch uh, uh, the uh, football game Sunday afternoon at halftime. Then he'd, we'd, uh, when they were looking, let's go out and throw the football, Dad. We got that, blah, blah, blah. You know, at halftime, right? He came home from Indiana, and the Bills were getting killed again. Halftime game, he said, hey, let's go outside. Here he is, going to be 30. He wants to go outside and throw the football. I go, made me laugh. Usually I'm sleeping when they're not around. Halftime, I'm. I wake up about the fourth quarter, then see the end of the game. <laughs> so I got the old guy trotted out there and threw my arm out and <laughs> had some fun doing that. Wow, you out, that's what you are. Strength, protector, leader, play with them. Wow, it's great. You're the hero. Well, over the past three decades, you have to admit, and maybe even longer, 
there's really been an assault on, on, uh, on masculinity resulting in role confusion. I mean, the world is absolutely messed up. It has no basis for the role of, of woman, wife, mother versus man, husband, father. Have, they're clueless. And if you come at it from a certain perspective, uh, that you have no absolutes, and we live in this postmodern world where there are no absolutes. Incidentally, that is the only absolute, that there are no absolutes. They can't even say it without contradicting their whole life view uh, by trying to espouse it. They have no basis for it. Well, the Word of God says, listen, men and women are both made in God's image. They're equal, yet I have distinctive roles for each. You know? Faithy has a different role to play in the family and in life than I do. She does. And, uh, and I'm glad that I'm a man and she's a woman. And as some of you have watched and witnessed birthing, you're like, whoa, boy. You know, I'm glad that the, the process that allowed me, we were talking about that this morning, that I became a father. But if dads had to give birth, probably maybe one, guys. Probably none. I've seen the film. Uh-uh, I'm not so interested, you know. <laughs> But, uh, you know, uh, gals are doing it and say, you know, I'd like maybe another one if I can, if God would do that. And maybe two or three. And I grew up with seven kids. I was second to seven. And uh, my dad went to military school, really had no family, really didn't have a mother. She was absent. And, uh, and my dad wanted to have a family, so he wanted to fill the house with kids. And, uh, and that they did. And they're all over the place, and uh, boy, that's a family I grew up in. But role confusion, it was easier in that day. My mother puts it, it was easier when she was younger. Your father said, I'll take care of everything outside the house. Bev, you got everything in the house. Okay, and they sort of operated that way. You know, and even the girls were trained that way. I mean, we worked like dogs around the yard and in the house and in the business. All We came home. And my, we'd finish dinner, because so big, we always ate in the dining room, right? Couldn't sit around the kitchen table. And as soon as that dinner was done, my mother would, and all my three sisters, they'd pop up, clean the table off, get it all. Because they, the boys came in, we were beat from working out there. Mom ran the inside, and you know what? They raised some pretty wonderful women to, to make happy husbands and families because those, those girls were raised and they knew how to take care of a family. And, uh, and they were trained and they all got college degrees and all the rest and, uh, and, and that. But uh, wow, that's sort of the way we were raised. And it was simple. But today, there's an assault. And men have been feminized, right? There's sort of, sort of this, uh, you know, you can't be a man. I'm not talking Archie Bunker. Some of you don't know what that is. You just sit there and bark and be a bigot and all that kind of nonsense, speak uh, meanly to Ethel and all that. Not, I, not that, that's out, this macho nonsense. But a real man, you know, a real man who's firm and strong and has conviction and loves his wife and loves his family and loves his kids and lives for them. Strong like that. This is this feminizing role. Men, you know, get in touch with your softer side, right? That's craziness. That's, that's, that's craziness. And that is, I say, until a, a, a woman needs a real man, then right, here's, your, here's your spine, now go do something, right? Until they really want a man, uh, that, no. That uh, God has some, uh, really some wonderful things to say, to say about that. And uh, real men are real men. And I, 
I've, I've majored in that through the years in, in helping men grow in grace and developing and be the leaders in their home. Because my dad, as great as he was as a dad, wasn't saved. Never knew Christ just before he died. And so I, I felt that. So I felt like I want to really give myself to, to men so that, they're, that they know how to raise, you know, be godly men and raise their families and, and their children and all that kind of thing. Wow. Well, Paul, in writing to the church at Thessalonica, a group of people he spiritually birthed, as I mentioned, he uses the language of family. Now, this is not a direct application of the passage, but it's secondary. He's talking to them about as their spiritual dad, but he uses the language of family. In fact, he goes from one end to the other in this. He begins talking about the words of the nursery and all that. We'll talk about that. And then he ends with actually the example of dad. And so there's a secondary sense when we look at the words that he's talking about, encouraging these babes in Christ to grow. He speaks to them as a father. And it's uncanny to parallel for us dads to draw strength and insight and encouragement from these words as we carry on and do what God wants us to do in our homes. And so by this, we can see the traits, that's the word that's missing, you know, some of you are looking around, the traits of a spiritual father and apply them to dads everywhere. Well, there are five qualities, we're going to move through these quickly, five qualities that ought to be found in your life, dad, as you lead your family for Christ. These five, there could be, you give 20 of them, but there are five that really flow from this passage uh, by the Apostle Paul. Now this is a, an example of a portrait that's worth imitating in your family, in your home, your God's appointed leader. Well, the, what's the first one? Look at uh, verse 6 and 7, or verse 7. But we were, we were gentle among you, Paul is speaking, we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. And first quality is, Dad, it's important for you to express tender affection for your children. Tender affection. I mean, when you read verse 7, and this is the man's man Paul writing this, we were gentle among you, like, well, like a mother. Now, he's not in role confusion here, but uh, there's, a t- a, there's a tender, loving affection that Paul has for them that a, a father needs to have for his, for his children, caring for her little children. Now, this is actually, you'd be surprised, in the Greek language, it's the words of the nursery. Uh, now, what are we saying here? Um, well, I have it in A. Look at, look at it. Paul could have used many words in the, in the Greek to express the word of affection. There are at least maybe six of them he could have used. And in verse 8, the word he used for the word love in the NIV is the word for strong intensity and endearment. And it's really taken from the nursery. As a mother with, uh, some of the translations take this and say, as with a nursing child. Now, to, uh, you talk about equal yet distinct, distinction between the, the male, female, mother, father, if you will. Uh, there's, in, 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 really, in, to, to me, and it's a beautiful thing to see a uh, a, a woman with her baby and a little one nursing her baby. Now, is there anything more beautiful, more feminine than that? Okay, now, but here he's saying the masculine role and the affection of tenderness. So I, I get the image in my head of a, a strong guy. He's got, you know, biceps. He's got his 
a white t-shirt on, and there he is holding tenderly a little baby. To me, that's a beautiful picture. My mother sent me a number of years ago a bunch of old photographs. She used to have an old brownie camera. <laughs> and she, some are pretty are black and white and all that. Some of these. And one of, one of my favorite pictures is the one that where I was young. And my father was just like that. Uh, he had a t-shirt on, a white t-shirt on. And there he is. He's holding me as a little baby in his hand. And it's, it's a picture of masculinity, yet tenderness, yet security. And that's the picture that Paul is, is saying here, that this is what I was to you. Affectionately, tenderly, lovingly drawn to you as my spiritual children. Well, it's a term, Dad, for us it's both tender and it's masculine. Actually, the Greek, it, it is a... In, in, in the form, in the gender, in the, in the Greek, it is masculine. It's not feminine at all. Well, this is the father holding and treating his ch child or children in a gentle way. And I think it's beautiful. It's, a, it's, it's really, really a very, very beautiful thing. And uh, it applies not only, I remind you, to, to the little ones, to the little, little babies and and sometimes men were a little uncomfortable with the little ones, especially when the first ones come, especially if you didn't grow up around little kids. Now, I was blessed. They, they came along. I got used to holding the little ones. There were a bunch of them in our family, and uh, I enjoyed that very much, my younger brothers and sister and all that kind of thing. And, uh, and so it wasn't. But sometimes, if you've never been on, you're like, if I drop them, what's going to happen to them? You know, this kind of thing. Do they break? Find out they're pretty resilient, you know? Don't, don't, don't try that at home, though. Don't drop them. But, uh, but, you know, that tenderness, I'm reminded in, too, is not just for the little ones, that affection, that tenderness. But it, it goes as they get older, and even into young adulthood, they need a dad's tender affection. They want that. They want that. Remember the prodigal son's father? He went away and he squandered all of that, his inheritance. And uh, there he's at the low of the low, right? He's far away, starving, feeding the pigs, slop. And he thought of his father. He thought of his dad. And he never thought for one moment in the text that uh, his dad wouldn't receive him. And uh, he rehearses what he's going to say to his dad. And finally he makes the trek back. And his father seeing him a far way off, ran toward him, threw his arm around him in Luke 15. You can check the right. And kissed him, his prodigal son. It's, it's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of that strong, tender affection of a real man to his children, not just the little ones, but even to their grown-up ones or those that are, are working through adolescence to adulthood. It's, that is so important. So important. They crave that. Well, how do we do it? Look at B. We express this tender love, Dad, to them in a couple of ways. Here's some how-tos, you know, guys like that. You know, they uh, tell me how to do it. You know, uh, well, how do you do first with your mouth? Affirm your children for what God made them to be. You know, affirm them. They're gifts. Hey, this is what I see in you. I said that to one of my our kids this, this last week. You know, this is what I see. You know, oh really? Yes, 
Yes, I, I think it's a gift of God. Work on it. Develop that. I really think you got, you know, those words are so powerful words. Affirm them. Affirm it. The world will beat them up. The world will run them over. Run over back it up, run over them again. That's just kind of, you know, like, you can't do it. You're not going to amount to anything, you know. We're going to talk about that, Dad. You're really the cheerleader. You're really the cheerleader. Yeah. I heard a, a dad even yesterday giving a cheerleader, cheerleader to, his, uh, to his daughter. I thought, that's great. That's what it ought to be. You can do this, do this. About that. So affirm them. Their gifts, their abilities. I mean, they're God's gift. They're priceless. They are priceless. Look at number two. We must appreciate what they do. Be their cheerleader. There it is. Give your approval. You know? I'll say that to my, to my kids. Now they're, now they're uh, you're amazing. So that to my daughter, she juggles so many balls trying to, they're in the midst of this move, and I, I don't know how they're doing it with the babies and all that. You're amazing. And that, <laughs> I said, Sarah, she was crying on the other end of the phone. Oh, Dad, thanks for saying that. <laughs> Holy cow. I thought, why is she crying? You know, most guys wonder why women are crying like that. <laughs> but the fate said, oh, she needs your words. And I said, wow, I've got to give more of them. You're amazing. I don't know how you do that. You are amazing. That's a, that's a good word. You're amazing. I see the man. Just encourage them. Be their cheerleader in life. Doesn't mean you look over when they when they do wrong or you look over where they need improvement? No. You help them on that. One word of encouragement is worth, what, what uh, ten words of discouragement? Do you ever hear that? One word, you know, a lot of it, you can't do that, you're a thumb bunny, you're, yeah, blah, 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 blah. One word of encouragement, you get that mileage. You can say, all right, give me ten more, here it comes. One more word, well, you be their cheerleader, Dad. You do it. And uh, it'll make all the difference in life. I grew up with a dad who was like that. He had, you know, he had his ways, worked hard, worked all the time, but he's, you, what do you want to be? You want to be an astronaut? Yeah, I think I want to be an astronaut. You'd be anything you want. You work hard at it. Keep going. Yeah, I it. yeah all right. Okay, I can do it. Wow. And I, I grew up that way. And uh, uh, a lot of people tell you you can't do anything, you know. But... Uh, but my dad was there. I profess the Lord for him. You're amazing. My daughter, you're beautiful. I said, I tell my grand, you're, hey, beautiful, how are you? You know, and beauty's from the heart out. We always said that, you know, it, and, uh, and to, to, my, to, to the guy. It's so important, dad. And dad, don't hold back. Look at number three. Uh, don't hold back physical touch, okay? Some of you have pretty different ethnic backgrounds, right? A lot of Germans, you know, you know like this, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we we're not real expressive, but uh, my mother rounded all that off with me. We're, we're huggers in our family because of my mom. My dad, he felt uncomfortable about it, but he put a hand on his shoulder. Uh, but you know what? I thought about years later, you know, my father was big on wrestling and that male touch. I don't know, it really you know, connected, and it was fun. Until he laid down, he'd scream until you cried, and he wouldn't. He, sadistic. He'd just he'd be screaming for my mother, and she'd leave the room. I can't do anything with him. <laughs> until the day we got bigger than him. I remember that day. 
I won't talk about that now, but they need your touch. And uh, even today, you know, I still kiss all of my kids and my, my son-in-law and my daughter-in-law when I see, I kiss them. It's a kiss of blessing. I hug them and, and, and you know what? I didn't grow up always that way. It was my dad was awkward with that. Didn't have a mother. Raised in military schools. So, so what? Start. Your kids will think, if you don't do that, they may think, what is wrong with him? Start. It gets easier. After a while, it gets easier. And they look for that. An arm around, a hug. Come here, give me a hug. And I know, Dad, we want to be the answer guy and the fix-it. We're like the fixers. What's the problem? Give it to me, I'll fix it. And we want to. But a lot of things you can't fix. You know, and just, they just need your touch and your affirmation and to be there, you know, really, it's so important, uh, those kind of things. Swindoll writes, many a young woman who opts for immoral sexual relationships does so because she can scarcely remember a time when her dad so much as touched her, hugged her, held her, supported her that way. An unaffectionate dads, uh, without meaning to do so, can actually trigger a daughter's promiscuity. Dads, don't hold back your affection. Still quoting Swindoll. Uh, and uh, it's very, very important. Give yourself to that. You're amazing. So with your words and with your body language, be there for them. You know, hold them, touch them. They'll, it, uh, so important. Well, it's important for you to express tenderness. Number two, second quality, quickly. Dad, strive to live a transparent life before your kids. Strive to do so. Look what Paul writes again in verse 8. We loved you so much that, that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, that's important, but also our lives as well. See, they were transparent. So they shared uh, with word, they taught uh, their, Paul taught these believers the gospel, but more than that, it's just not what he said, he shared his whole life. He shared with a sense of transparency. Well, what's that mean? Well, A, the gospel is all important. It's the most important thing in life. What a wonderful thing it is to share the gospel uh, with your children. I had that joy uh, three, uh, with each of them to share with them with an open Bible. They, they came, they had taught to faithy. And then uh, I had a chance to go with them in their bedroom and talk to them, and we knelt and prayed, and, and through the years, to be that at the time of the gospel, and then through the years to do that, that's so very, very important. And uh, I cherish those memories and to see them come to Christ, and each of them in different states, and they're a blessing to their, to their churches and to their group, small groups, and to um, Jonathan's there, and they're doing a church plant in Milwaukee, and Spends a lot of time with this pastor and thinks a lot of him. And David and Mandy have a, a wonderful church there and, and, uh, and just south of their city. They're really, really involved. When I was there, Dad, you got to meet the pastor. You know, so I went over and had a nice time meeting him. And, and then who else was it? Oh, Sarah and Greg uh, they're down in, uh, in their church, uh, down at the community church in St. Simon Island, Georgia, uh, where, where they've been living. And, and so on. But there's more than that, isn't there? B, there's more. Like, uh, like Paul, Dad, you must live with a transparency before your family, allowing him to see how to live a life that honors the Lord Jesus. 
Paul said we shared not only the gospel, but our very souls, suke, our soul, our lives. It's a sharing in full. Sharing in full. I know that we, a lot of times we've got to be the front guys. We've got to be the, you know, we got to be the strong guys. Can never show any uh, vulnerability, no weakness. We can handle it. You know, and, and, you know, we do our kids at this service. Now, they don't need to know the grimy details always. They're not ready for that, right? Depending on where, where they are in development and so on. But they, they yearn to know life through your eyes. They learn to, to know how are you able to stand there uh, amidst the current and the culture and all that, and that's who you are. Wow. Wow, that's so important. My father was elected to city council in our city growing up when I was in like eighth grade. And he was on the council for a year and he realized the chief police of 35 years was absolutely corrupt. Uh, mafioso kind of stuff, you know, really, really bad. And so he talked to the chief, he talked to the council, and he said, you know, you really ought to resign. You ought to resign. You retire, you're old enough. But resign. Oh, I'm not, this is my I own this city, you know, one of these guys, you know. And my father pushed and pushed and pushed, and, and he resigned. He was out. And uh, we had death threats come to the house and all that. And I had to watch in my memory my father go through that. Well, it was the right thing. The guy was a crook. There was no, there was no wavering on it, you know. And I, and I looked at him like, how is he able to stand there with all that pressure to cave in and just give way and let it go? It, to him, it was simple. It's either right or wrong. If it's wrong, you're out, you know. You betrayed the public trust. And, and, so, and I, I learned a lot through that. I learned an awful lot through that transparency. And, uh, and, and in life and in business and the ups and downs when his father died and how he handled that with a lot of tears. I mean, I saw him tackle problems. I saw him at times of loss. And I, as a young boy, through his eyes, learned so much more than I ever thought. And it's so, you know what's so funny about that? How it comes back to you. You know, it's way back there and you go like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, it's folded between the pages of my mind, you know the song, squeezed between or whatever it is. And, but it comes back to me and, and, and you live in color and I'll remember this event and that event and it's so strange how it comes back. And, it, and I draw strength from that. Well, Dad, your kids want to know that. They share with them your struggles and your failures, your successes, the how-tos and, and how, you, how you live life. Uh, our children want to learn a proper set of values from us. They want to discover how do you make good decisions. There are a lot of choices out there, Dad. They want to know. It intrigues them to think that we're able to stand alone and, and be unintimidated, or so it seems to them. They want to know, how do you do this? How? They want to know how to handle finances. They want, all these kind of how-tos. And you can teach them by, by just opening up and, and allowing them, sharing not only your teaching or your word and the essentials of the gospel, but how do you live life? Paul said, I shared my life with you, and you know it. They knew him. They knew him. Well, strive to to be a transparent in your living before your family. Share yourself. Share yourself. Well, look at number two under B. Your children will benefit 
when they find us open and vulnerable. Now that's a vulnerability, it's not a, a word that a lot of men are real comfortable. They say, I like being vulnerable. Now most of us like, woo, that's one of the more of those female type words. <laughs> but the reality is, is when we, we do allow others to see our family, and anyway, they know us, right? They do know us. Uh, and we show that vulnerability, it draws them closer to us. You know, like, you, you, do you know that? You know, sometimes you make a mistake. Oh, I never make a mistake. Oh, yeah? You just made one. <laughs> we make mistakes, and the kids know it, and, uh, you know, sometimes we, they, we need to say, you know what? Would you forgive me? And I've said this to you before, that draws them close. You know, like, I've had my kids crying, yeah, Daddy, I forgive you, you know? <laughs> They're, they're crying, and what a mess. You know, they know it, and it just draws you close to them. Daddy made a mistake. I spanked the wrong one, you know. <laughs> that really happened, you know. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and they put their arms around your neck, you know, and uh, they're just a little, you know. That, that's so important. You teach them uh, how, to, to, to keep the... To keep the uh, the account's current. You know, I'm so thankful that uh, in our life, the, the relationships are all current. You know what I mean by that? Nobody's on the outs. Nobody has their nose out of joint, hard feelings, any of that. It's current. Now, we've, we've, you just, you hurt people. You don't mean to, and you disappoint, and this and that, and you deal with it. You don't let it go on. Time does not heal. You just say, I won't say anything, it'll get better. Never will it. Come on, just, just deal with it. Make a phone call, write a letter, talk to them. And uh, with all our kids, there's not anyone on the outs, and the grandkids on the outs. You know, and with fight, you've got to fight to keep that that way. You've got to fight to do it. And, uh, and so on. That's the way it, it ought to be. And even, even with my home and family, with our, nobody is, uh, you, we don't feel like, oh, we can't talk to them because of, you know, this, this kind of thing. We do all that we can to draw that close. Now, they may not always respond the way they should, but it's not on us. We're doing all we can to build a bridge and connect. Why? Time is short. And you never know. Step off a curb, get hit by a bus, and goodbye. You know? That's the way it is. So ask forgiveness, Dad. Do it. Your stock will go up. Number three, Dad, possess an unselfish diligence in your labors. Verse 9. Verse 9. Where is it in my Bible here? There it is. Surely, surely you remember, Paul's saying, surely you remember, brothers, our toil, hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. Work. Unselfish diligence in your labors. For many men, many men, work is very important. It is. You know, a group of men are together not too long, and, and they value work so much, and they're always intrigued what people, uh, other men do. They'll ask, say, so where is it that you work? What, what kind of thing do you do? They're just kind of curious and interested. Why? Because so much of our life is filled with, with our work. You know, to, we're out there working so that we can support and, and care for our family. It's, it's a major part of a man's life, especially in the day in which we live. Though uh, I, I've just read that either 2 out of 10 or 1 out of 10 
people are now working out of home offices. This decentralization that's going on now in, in being in the home. But most men are still workers away from the home. We're not farmers where we lived on the farm, raised on the farm, and kids saw dad all the time. Most are away and, and they're working. Work is a big part of a man's life. It's what we do to provide for our loved ones. And Paul reminds the spiritual children of his hard work, our toil and hardship, working night and day. For many families, B, this is the most vivid memory they have of their dad. They would say, many of us would say, well, they, dad worked hard, he worked hard, he worked long hours, he worked all the time. Uh, we, we, uh, many of us would think of that just that way. That's one of the, the, the strongest memories I have of my own father. Uh, among other things, under God's sweet sovereignty, uh, probably took his life. There were times in the seasonal business where he would, he would work 80 and 90 hours a week. And, uh, and finally, humanly, it, it, it did him in at an earlier age. But, uh, but he was caring for his large family in the family business and didn't fall on anyone else. And uh, he carried that. There are other things he did, humanly he's speaking. Uh, uh, I mean, he smoked three packs of L&M a day and hated those things. And he'd say, I hate these things, you know. And, and, and he said, you don't understand. When I grew up, you know, World War II days, you know, he said, if you were a man, you stood on a street corner and you had a cigarette. And he said, I was 16, that's what I did. And... Uh, and I hate these things, you know. So then he went and he said, I'm getting rid of these L&M and I'm, Louie, that touch a, touch a, a chord there. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to smoke the merits. You know, they got half the nicotine. And he's smoking six packs a day trying to get the nicotine. <laughs> and <laughs> Sitting at his office and, and that didn't help. And that probably helped him coronary artery uh, disease, which finally uh, took his life. But uh, work, work, work. He taught us how to work, and he worked hard. Whatever he did, he did with his very best. And uh, my mother was always quick to point that out to us. You know, how can you do less than your best? Look how your father works. And it was like, that's an eye-opener. How come you got this grade? You didn't work in that class at school. Uh, you know, your, your father would not do that. He'd be ashamed of you because you didn't give it your all, did you? Well, no. What you gonna, I'm going to work at that harder. I always had that strong image of, uh, of that of my father, and that has been a blessing to me, yeah, of uh, the work of my father. Uh, uh, perhaps, uh, uh, perhaps uh, and, and I put this under B, many, many times working, a dad will work at a job he hated. You know, 80% of it's true, you read 80% of people hate the work they do. They would change. You ever read that? Eight out of ten. And some, some just keep that work. And we're talking dads here today. Uh, 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 despise the work they do, but they're, they're not trapped in it, but they do it because they can support their family that way. And so they keep doing a job that might be utterly repetitive and maybe almost mindless. Why? To care for their loved ones, their family at home. And, uh, and so we, we honor you for that, Dad. Uh, some of you read uh, Tim Russert's uh, book, Big Rust. Did any of you read that book? That was a great book. Nobody read that? You know what I'm talking about, Tim Russert? Meet the Press? He's a good Buffalo boy. He, yeah. Oh, you didn't read that? Oh, get that. Well, I took that 
when Faith and I went on vacation one year, years back, and, uh, she, you know, we'd, we'd go to a mall, outside mall in California. I'd sit and read, and Faith, she'd be around seeing a couple of hours. I'm sitting there babbling, bubbling like a boob out there, crying, choking back the tears. It's too much of it was Buffalo. Too much of his father was like my father. And I'm like, oh, man, his dad worked two full-time jobs, never complained, took care of the family, and counted a privilege to be in this country and to be able to live with freedom and support his family. And I go like, and went on and on and on. Wow, to care for his family. And that's what we do, Dad. That's what many of us do, don't we? So kids, before you complain about this, about your dad working, that's all he does is work, uh, the, the reality is, think about where you'd be if, you're, if your dad was the opposite, lazy, indolent, irresponsible. One man writes, many a family has a hardworking dad to thank for their survival. Think of that. In many ways, dads, we show our love by working and providing, don't we? And our, the expression in my home was, you know, uh, who do you think puts the roof over your head? It didn't take me long to go back into the cemetery of my memory to hear that one. It's your father who puts a roof over your head. You better be grateful. You know, that, that, that was my mother preaching, incidentally. That was my mother. Uh, she, was, she was right, right there. Uh, and, you know, that's a, that's a thing about that, too, uh, moms. You can, you can really help to uh, instill in, in the kids um, uh, a, a honorable respect for your husband, their dad, uh, by helping point out things, you know, uh, admirable, thing, admirable things, quality things uh, in your husband, their dad, uh, when they're younger all the way up through, uh, and it'll cause them to have a, a sense of reverence which God would desire them to have for their dad. There's no perfect dads. We all make mistakes, sure. But there are admirable things that we ought to highlight. And uh, you know, my mother was a big supporter in this. She stood in awe of my father. And, uh, and we, all, all the kids did as well. And a lot of times, I think we did extra hard in school because we didn't want to disappoint my, my father. And I, I'm so grateful for that. And, uh, I mean, he'd sit down at points and, all right, where are you headed here? You know, every nine weeks the grades come out. He'd, he didn't ask if we did our homework. He never did. He just assumed you were doing it. And then it was the review time every nine weeks. And then, uh, you know, from that point, and then where are you going? What do you mean? Well, you're, you're going to school, right? You're going to college, right? You're going to university. Every one of us. We could hear him in the kitchen. It was a one-on-one -on -one meeting, and I think my mother was making coffee over there. But um, where are you going? Where are you headed? And uh, some interesting conversations there. And now, all these years later, all seven of his kids, universe, everyone, a university graduate and beyond, doctors and graduate school, and because they, under God's sweet grace and sovereignty, but my, the expectation of my parents, primarily my father, and uh, rather amazing to see the impact of that. Dave, I related so much to what you had to say about your dad and your testimony. Amazing, just, just amazing, God's uh, plan and program. Well, let's see, where are we here? Uh, so, D, Dad, work hard. You do. I know, I know you do. But man, always keep perspective, though, okay? The Lord is first. 
And family second, work and all that is third. That's the proper perspective. And then train your kids to find joy in hard work. You know, that's Ecclesiastes. Find satisfaction. Find joy. There's joy in doing a job and doing it well done in itself, right? You don't have to have the attaboys. But in doing it and doing it well, doing it, there's a, there's a satisfaction in that. And teach your kids that. And... Uh, don't uh, indulge them. Don't give them everything. You know, you rob them of that. Let them earn and work towards that. And uh, th- you'll be glad, uh, they'll be glad they did. Wow. Uh, let me, uh, let's go to number four. What's the fourth quality? Is Dad, be spiritually authentic before your loved ones. And again, it's Paul. It's like a two-sided coin. I shared with you not only the gospel of God, he writes, uh, remember that, my work uh, and all that, but I preach to you the gospel, and, uh, and then verse 10, you are witnesses also, and so is God of, and then his life, how holy and righteous and blameless. So it was his mouth in teaching them the gospel, but also again his life. There was a spiritual authenticity that he lived before them. You're, and you know what? Your kids really know you, and uh, it really works that way. And uh, so strive to be godly and earnestly uh, love the Lord before them, and they'll never get over it. I'll tell you what, if you don't, uh, you will affect them negatively forever. I can't tell you the number of people I've, I have talked to through these 31 years of ministry where dad talked a good story but lived a wholly different life in the home. Okay? Uh, you've you got to get your walk and your talk. Lord, help me on this thing. And it's daily reading the Word and letting your heart be tenderized by the Word in prayer and in leading your family. Mom shouldn't be the one leading the church. Hey, tomorrow's church. Mom says, ah, oh, church. No. Tomorrow's church. We're going to worship the Lord. It's the highlight of the week. Dad, that ought to be you. It's not like, oh, I take care of all this and she takes care of the kids in the church. No, you be the leader in this thing. Lead, lead, lead. You be the leader. Be spiritually authentic. Paul tells him, he preached the gospel to him in A, and, and then he, and, and in his life. We are, I was holy, righteous. Wow, he means by this that his words matched up to the way he lived. You, knew, uh, you, you know it was true. He, there was a consistency there. Like two sides of a coin, what he said and what he did, the other side. Dad, be the spiritual leader in your home. It's a rare thing today, it seems, but shouldn't be. Hunger and thirst daily after the Lord. Read the Word, pray, urge your family to follow you. Be the pace setter. Like that Indianapolis race car, the pace setter, right? The Indy, the Indy 500. That's what you are. You're the pace setter. In your home, set the pace. They'll follow you. Time, why should you do it? Look at this. This is true. Time is short. You only have them for a while, and they fly away. Fly away. Wisconsin, Indiana, and Georgia for us. Wow, did they go. Wow. And you know what? Time is short. They're growing fast. Especially if you have teenage boys. Ho, 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 ho. They don't know the, uh, the full mark, the refrigerator. They're always hanging on the door. What's in here? <laughs> 
Stop eating. We're not going to run out. Morning to evening. They're growing and growing, right? Wow. Fast. And they're soon gone. Can I read to you one more time Kel Thomas's uh, article? I know the first time I read this back when I started, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even get through the thing. Cal Thomas, the Christian writer, Los Angeles Times, syndicated columnist. He uh, was at Liberty University for a lot of years, and then Jerry Falwell actually helped him get the job out at the LA Times. He said, you don't have, you have all liberal writers on your staff. You don't have any conservative. Seems like you ought to have one. So they hired Cal Thomas back when. And uh, since that time, he's a talking head on, on TV, but he writes a syndicated columnist. And uh, it, means a lot. it meant a lot to me back then. I want to read it again. And his father died the same year that my father did. And uh, though Kel's a little bit older than I am, it really, really, uh, really moves me. I pulled it out of the file and reread it again this week. And, and anyway, it's called Remembering Dad. I wish more boys today could have the fathers like mine, had fathers like mine. Uh, he's been gone 20 years this month. It's been more than that. He died in 1983. Funny how uh, when I write this, Cal writes, I wonder if some readers might think he, he, uh, he left us, but he didn't. He died in 1983 in June. I still, I still miss sending him Father's Day cards and finding a present beyond the predictable tie Shopping for a card by an anonymous rhymer that expressed the right sentiment was always a challenge. So I wrote notes, and eventually I wrote a letter telling him how much I loved him and what he meant to me. And you know what? He framed it, and he hung it in his office. People of a certain age think he was Lowell Thomas, the famous newscaster and Fox movie tone newsreel narrator of another era. That's because Lowell and I share the same name and the same profession. But no, Clinton Samuel Thomas was nothing special to the world, but only to my family. And he was special to my brother, Marshall, who was born with a defect, diagnosed as mental retardation. And how Dad treated my brother taught me a profound lesson. He spent a lot of money on doctors in search of the right environment for my brother after keeping him at home for years when many suggested institutionalization. My father survived the Great Depression and World War II, and these experiences burnished his character and honor and made him realize things are less valuable than people, family, and relationships. We never lacked essential things as I grew up, and did not miss luxurious things. I remember when he took me to buy my first suit and told me at the age of 12 how I was becoming a man. I recall the baseball games and the smell of hot dogs and real grass and how good it felt doing guy stuff with him. I inherited no money, but I got his fishing tackle box absolutely priceless. Are too many men today busy being much more than biological fathers? Have they convinced themselves that more hours on the job to buy more stuff is greater importance than inhabiting their place in the home and their positions as father in their children's hearts? 
My recent high school reunion concluded with a tour of the old building. When we arrived at the gym where I had played basketball, a classmate asked me what I remembered most about those games. I said that while I recalled a few shots that actually went in, what I remembered most was that my father attended every home game. And I pointed to where he sat up in the upper row. It's an image burned into my heart and mind. One year he promised a steak dinner to the entire team if we beat our arch rival. We did, and he came through. And on that night, my teammates seemed to love him as much as I did. My father treated my mother with honor and respect. He never let me call an adult by his or her first name and demanded that I show respect for my elders. And when he let me drive shortly after my 16th birthday, he made it clear he had rules for using his car, just as there were rules for the road. And when he said he wanted me back at a certain time if I ever wanted to drive again, I returned at the appointed hour until I could buy a car of my own. Not a family on my boyhood street ever divorced. Now divorce is common. Then a battered woman was a rare occurrence. Now it's too frequent. Boys were taught by their fathers to respect women. Most guys I knew in high school were virgins. Though many lied about it, safe sex meant saving it for marriage. My favorite picture is of my dad feeding me a bottle when I was six weeks old. He's dressed in a suit and a large smile. His right hand holds the bottle while his left hand is cupped under my shoulder. It is a picture of security and serenity. I wish more boys had fathers like mine. I wish even more that mine was still with me. Isn't that good? Oh, that is so good. I love that. I love that. Well, the last, the last, and we'll be done, the last quality that ought to be found, Dad, in your life is that exert a positive influence on your children. That's what Paul did in 11 and 12 for you know, he said in 11, that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. And what's that, Paul? Well, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. The last thing, Dad, you be the positive influence in your children's lives. Paul refers to that and calls them to remember uh, his uh, active encouragement as a father. And so when his mind searched well, when and how to use just the right word in writing this letter to the Thessalonians, Thess Thessalonians <clears throat> the one example that uh, came to his mind of a positive influence was that of a dad. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? I love that. I do. Look at Paul's words. Dads are encouraging. They're comforting. They're urging. Well, that's you, Dad. That's Dad. Isn't that a great picture? Amen? Amen. What a wonderful picture of uh, fatherhood. Well, lessons for life. And we'll be done. Number one. First lesson, number one. Dad, never stop giving your family tender, loving affection. 
And, and if your father didn't do it or so on, get, get over it. Get past it. You can do it. You're just saying where you start. Now grow in that. Grow in that. It's deep inside. You can do that. Never stop that. Words of encouragement, tender affection, touch is so important. Your wife, your kids. Wow. Number two, dad, strive to be your family's cheerleader. You can do it. Go for it. Doesn't mean you're blind eyed to weaknesses or to challenges, <clears throat> difficulties, or their failures. You're, you're not. But you don't major on that. You build off that. You build off it. Encourage them. Much of what they're going to become and who they are as a person in life is a direct relationship to you and your relationship with them. It's a treasure position. And use words like, you're amazing. They are. Number three, dad be the spiritual leader in your home. If you are, keep on. Aim for consistency. We're all inconsistent, aren't we? Who's perfect? Nobody is yet. God is developing us and growing us. Strive for that. Strive. And when you blow it, you know, own up to it. They know it. Don't, don't do one of these political garbage speak, you know, beating around the bush and not saying anything. Gobble you know, I did it. I failed. Please forgive me. They want to do it anyway. I forgive you, Daddy. <laughs> and they'll draw them close. That's okay, Daddy. And they pat you on the back. Then you feel like two inches tall, you know. <laughs> Be the leader in your home. Man, that's great. That is. Number, number four. All of, us, all of us here must encourage our dads, must encourage our men who, who are dads. They're the real heroes. They are. That's what the scriptures say. That is. The glory of children is their fathers. Wow. Not that my dad can beat your dad up, but, you know, they need a hero. We have a day with no heroes. Where's John Wayne when you need him, you know? No heroes. You're their hero. You are. Number five and last. Perhaps you have never trusted Christ and rested in the finished work of the cross. That's the place to begin, Dad. Oh, I wish my dad had come to Christ at a much earlier age than he did, just before he died. Oh, that we could have, we, I just, oh, but I'm glad he came to Christ. Maybe you're here, Dad, Mom young adult, and you've never trusted Christ. Today, Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you for dying for me. That's the place to begin. That is. Well, the godly dad. Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Dads, we honor you. Praise God. Let's stand and be dismissed with a word.